Well, amen. Take your Bible, if you would, and turn to Genesis chapter 18. We're going to jump right into uh, the passage today because, as the great theologian Jerry Reed once said, we've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. All right, Genesis 18. Here's what we read. Then Yahweh, that's the Lord, appeared to him, that's Abraham. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. Uh, this place, by the way, the oaks of Mamre, was some place that Abraham had uh, visited once before. In Genesis 13, verse 18, we read, Then Abram uh, moved his tent and came and lived by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. And uh, so many uh, centuries later, uh, close, much closer to our time, uh, people had visited this same place, and there's some really giant trees there, and one in particular. Uh, this picture was taken back in the 1800s, uh, and this, at this place called Mamre, there's an altar nearby, uh, which is interesting. Uh, so the speculation is that this might have been the Oaks of Mamre, where Abraham was. And then in the year, before the year 1900, uh, the owners of the land, in order to uh, preserve this area, uh, decided to build, um, I don't know, a, a stone wall around this, and they cut the roots of the tree, and uh, it's like, can't you just leave well enough alone? But anyway, um, to give you an idea of the size of this, even as that tree was dying, and this picture is colorized, but this picture is taken in 1900, those are people. Uh, standing and sitting beside the tree. And so the, the, these are just massive trees. Uh, and it would be in this area where Abraham met the Lord. And even in Genesis 18, when he meets the Lord again, as we'll see in just a minute. Uh, but the very place where he met is important because uh, in your life, and here's really the big point of uh, this message, where you park your life may determine whether or not uh, you are the recipient of God's blessing or God's judgment. And so one place where Abraham uh, parked his life here was at the Oaks of Mamre, where he had met the Lord before. Uh, but there's another place that we'll get to called Sodom. And Sodom was a place where God's blessing would not be found, but rather his judgment. And so consider that as we move forward in the text, verse 2. And Abraham, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing nearby. He saw, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed himself to the earth. Now, this is very important. This is a critical lesson of, of this story and a critical lesson for us to understand today. And it's the lesson of hospitality. And we're going to see a stark contrast between the hospitality that Abraham showed these men and the inhospitality and wickedness that Sodom treated these men with. And so we see in this verse that Abraham saw, he saw these men. And see, when you're, when you're a hospitable person, you see the guests in your midst. You take notice of them. And it's not the kind of... Uh, uh, angry Baptist noticed uh, when someone is sitting in your pew. 
It's not like, I see you, and I'm going to get you to move out of my pew. I got my eye on you. It's not that. Okay? But you're looking at people that are perhaps new to the church or new to wherever you are, and you have a view of hospitality. How can I be a blessing to them? And I just want to know this. Don't raise your hand. But have you ever been to a church where nobody greeted you, where no one made you feel welcome? And God forbid that ever happened at this church. God forgive us if it ever does or has. Um, We must, as members of this church, look and see people that may be new in our midst and make them feel welcome. We have to be the kind of people that do more than just see all the regulars around us, but we see those that are new, and we extend greetings and blessings to them. It says in this verse that he ran from the tent door to meet them. You've got to remember, he's 99 years old, and he is in his full garb. I'm assuming that he's wearing a big uh, robe type of feature, and he's running from his tent door to meet them. Now, when, he, when we talk about tents, Abraham's tent, I don't want you to think about a, a Boy Scout pup tent, okay? This is not the, we're talking about a huge Bedouin type of tent, and these tents literally have doors. They have huge cloth that you can fold or fashion into a door or not. So he runs from the tent door to meet them, and by the way, we need to run and make every opportunity to be hospitable to those that are guests among us, both in the church and wherever we might be. And he bowed himself to the earth. So Abraham, by bowing himself, he is placing himself in a position lower, not just physically, but spiritually, lower than these honored people. Which reminds us again, we need to put the interests of guests before our own, and if we fail to do that, the only word that can be used to describe us is selfish. And so Abraham is a, an example of great hospitality, and he continues, and he says to them in verses 3 through 5, he says, My Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Abraham is begging to allow them to show, to receive his hospitality. Do not pass by. He says, please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And let me bring a piece of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass on, since in such manner, such a manner you have passed by your servant. And they said, you, so shall you do, as you have said. Now, one thing I want you to take particular notice of is that Abraham is addressing one of them. He says, my Lord. There's three there, but he's addressing one of them. Apparently, one of the three either stood out to be the leader of the three, or perhaps Abraham had met this one before. And so Abraham begs them, he begs the young, one man, in fact, to allow him to show hospitality to all of them. You see, if Abraham had failed to be given the opportunity to honor these men, great shame would come upon him, just like great shame 
would come upon any church that has guests come in its midst and those guests not be honored and greeted well. So I hope that we will have the same attitude that Abraham had in that day. And so he's speaking to the one man. He says, please let me show this hospitality to you. And then they replied, as if with one voice, they replied, so you shall do as you have said. And then we get to verse 6, a great verse here. And Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. He said basically what every good, wise husband says, Where's my wife? I can't do this alone. Where's my wife? And uh, the, the implication here is that Sarah is a willing helper to her husband. She may have been thinking, you know, you really can't do anything without me. You know, you really need me, don't you? Don't you, Abraham? But whatever it was, Abraham hurried and ran to his wife, Sarah, and he said, Hurry, prepare three seahs of fine flour, knead it, and make bread cakes. What in the world is a seah? Well, three seahs is approximately five gallons. You think about a, those orange five-gallon buckets we all get from Home Depot. He says, prepare that much fine flour and make bread cakes. Now, what did he tell the men? He said, I'll feed you a piece of bread. But then he runs inside and he says, Sarah, need your help. We're going to do this thing right. I mean, Abraham's not messing around. He's not bringing four rolls from Texas Roadhouse out, okay? He's going to load these guys up and he's going to have her make these cakes. Not just a, when we talk about a cake, it's like a big piece of pita bread. Except that much flour, she's going to make stacks of them. And it's going to be enough for these men not only to have, but also to take with them on their journey. He's going to make sure they're, they're well provided. And so he, he gives Sarah her assignment. And then, verses 7 and 8, Abraham also ran to the herd. Where's the herd? Who knows? The herd is maybe a quarter mile away, maybe a mile away, maybe longer. But here's this 99-year-old man wearing a big robe, and he, he wraps it up, and he tucks it in his belt, and he runs, and he finds the herd. And he took a tender and choice calf and gave it to his young man. Abraham had a young man who had been well-trained in the art of hospitality, well-trained in preparing, preparing is a nice way of saying killing and cooking a young calf and butchering it and getting it ready, and he hurried to prepare it. And so when this was finally prepared and they made their way uh, to the men, they're bringing out basically a, a huge young calf all together, along with stacks of bread, along with some more things we'll see in a minute. And in that day, in the hot type of hospitality, when someone brings you a big piece of meat like that, what do you do with it? You tear off a leg. You tear off or you cut out uh, some of the rib. And so you, you, you feast on it there. This is, this is the kind of, uh, the closest that we can probably imagine is like uh, a luau. Uh, where you have a big pig in, in Hawaii and that type of thing. But, so all of this is being prepared for these men. 
and he hurried to prepare it. Then he took curds. What in the world are curds? Curd is the fat of the milk. I know everyone likes to have skim milk and 2% milk. No, 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 no. We're getting the real stuff. So whether it's goat milk, cow milk, I don't know. But he's taking the fat of the milk. And the fat of the milk is now being prepared as either a cheese, like a cheese curd, or a creamy type of curd. And uh, a creamy type of liquid. But it's a choice type of uh, offering to these men. He took the curds and the milk and the calf that had been prepared. And he placed it before them. And he was standing by them under the tree. And they ate. He's not participating in the meal. He's the servant. And he fed them, and they ate. Then in verse 9, Then they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? Time out for a minute. How do they know he has a wife at all? How do they know? Because she's in the tent. How do they know her name? I mean, if they had known her from years before, they would have asked, Where is Sarai? your wife. But her name has recently been changed to Sarah. And they ask, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, there, in the tent. And he said, one of the men, the one of the men among the three, the one said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son Well, Sarah was doing what a lot of ladies do when the men are in the other room having men discussions. Sarah was eavesdropping, listening in on the other side of that tent door. Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Verse 11. Now, we have a little interlude, a little uh, description from the narrator of the story. And he reminds us, now Sarah, Abraham and Sarah were old. Advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. And Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out, shall I have pleasure? My Lord, being old also, meaning Abraham, he's old, I'm old. We're past that time of life now. And so she laughs to herself on the other side of the tent door. And then look what we read in verse 13. And Yahweh said to Abraham, Yahweh is the one among the three. It becomes more clear now. Abraham is having a discussion with Yahweh and two others that right now look simply like men. All three simply looked like men. And Yahweh, the Lord, said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a son when I am so old? Is anything too difficult for Yahweh? At the appointed time when I return, will return to you, at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Notice that Yahweh knew that Sarah laughed. Even though she laughed in her heart, laughed to herself, even though she's on the other side of the tent door, the Lord knew 
And it's a reminder to us, God knows. God knows. Think you can hide things from God? He knows. He knows what's in the heart. We need to be reminded every once in a while that God knows everything. And not only does God know everything, God can do anything. God can even give a child to an old man and an old woman well past childbearing years. Well, look at verse 15. Then Sarah denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. So now she speaks up. She peeks her head out of the tent. I didn't laugh. She's afraid. How did this guy know? How did he know? So she said, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And the Lord was merciful to her. I mean, this is a woman who's looking at the Lord, lying to the Lord. And the Lord is merciful. And he simply says, no, but you did laugh. I mean, it's silly when we try to lie to God. You know, I don't know if you've ever been caught lying to God. But God knows. And sometimes he's merciful with us and he says, no, I know the truth. You did laugh. Well, then verse 16. Then the men rose up from there. We're in Genesis 18. Then the men rose up from there and looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham was walking with them to send them off. And so Sodom is in the valley. It's in the cities of the valley. And uh, so the men got up from the, where the tree was. And they walked over to the edge of the, uh, edge of the valley, if you will. And they're getting ready to go on their way. And Abraham is walking with them to that edge, and he's going to send them off. And then Yahweh, remember, he's one of the three. He is, he is the main one of the three men that were visiting with Abraham that day. Then the Lord, Yahweh, said, and there's a rhetorical question. He said it essentially to himself, but we're told about it by the narrator. Yahweh said, shall I conceal from Abraham what I'm about to do? What's the Lord going to do? The Lord's on his way to Sodom. And the Lord is going to do something there. Shall I conceal from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. God had already made that promise to Abraham. That Abraham would have a son, that he would be a great and mighty nation. All the nations of the earth eventually would be blessed through Abraham. And God says, shall I just do what I'm going to do with Sodom, or should I tell Abraham about it first? Since Abraham is the recipient of my blessing and my promise. And it's a rhetorical question, and the question is meant to be answered this way. That the Lord is saying, I will tell Abraham what I'm about to do, because he is the recipient of my blessing, the recipient of the promise. The Lord continues, he says, For I have known him, so that he may command his children and household after him, and that they may keep the way of Yahweh to do righteousness and justice, so that Yahweh may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. This is new material. 
This is the first time righteousness and justice, which becomes a major theme in Scripture, it's the first time those words appear together in the history of humanity. Now, God destroyed the world back in Noah's day with the great flood because the world was so wicked. And God had told Abraham, I want you to walk with me. But now, God is saying to Abraham, or he's, the reason that he's going to tell Abraham the plan is this, because Abraham's descendants must be people who do righteousness and justice to others. For if they fail, they will have broken the covenant with me. That's the implication. So what is God doing? God is saying this. I'm going to tell Abraham what I do with unrighteous and unjust people. And then I'm going to do what I said I would do with an unrighteous and unjust people. Should I tell him my plan for Sodom? Yes, I will. That's the essence of what God is saying. And so we read in verse 20. So Yahweh said, this is what Yahweh said to Abraham. The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see whether they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me. And if not, I will know. Think about what God is saying to Abraham. God tells Abraham his plan. He says, I'm going to visit Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because I've heard things. I've heard things about their sin. And now I'm going to see if what I heard is true. God is saying, and by, by the way, God does not tell Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. It's implied. And Abraham knows it's implied. But God is simply saying in our vernacular, I'm just going to go have a look-see. I'm going to go check it out. Just going to go check it out. Well, Abraham knows what checking it out means. He knows what the Lord will find. Why? Because back when Abraham and uh, Lot separated, even back then Sodom had a, a reputation for wickedness. And yet Lot decided to go toward Sodom, go into the cities of the valley, and dwell there. So Abraham knows who this is that's talking with him now. He knows what the Lord will do with Sodom and Gomorrah because of their great wickedness. And then we read in verse 22, Then the men, the two other men, the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom. The two men left the Lord and Abraham, and they start making their way into the valley where Sodom is. But Abraham was still standing before Yahweh. It's as if Abraham was saying, wait a minute. 
wait a minute, Lord. So it's, he's almost literally, or perhaps literally, standing in the Lord's way. And so the Lord does not go with the two other men. Then Abraham came near. He knows that God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham came near in verse 23 and he said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50, just 50. Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away? And not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put to death the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. God, this would not be according to your character, Abraham is saying. Abraham is appealing to God's nature. He says, far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do justice? This was Abraham's appeal to the Lord. And the Lord said in verse 26, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place on their account. Now Abraham must have been thinking, whoop, chose too big of a number. God sure sort of agreed with that pretty quick. He must know something I don't know. Let's see if we can uh, bargain this down a little bit. And so Abraham answered and said in verse 27, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am but dust and ashes. Suppose the 50 righteous are, are lacking five. Will you destroy the whole city because they're lacking five? And the Lord said, I will not destroy it. If I find 45 there. Well, then he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose, suppose 40, 40 are found there. And the Lord said, I will not do it on account of the 40. And then he said, oh, oh my, may the Lord not be angry and I shall speak. Suppose 30, 30 are found there. And the Lord said, I will not do it if I find 30 righteous there. And he said, now behold, I, I have ventured to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20, 20 are found there. The Lord said, I will not destroy it on account of the 20. And Abraham said, oh, may the Lord not be angry. And I shall speak only this once. Last time, I promise. This is it. Suppose 10. Ten righteous, only ten, are found in the entire city. And the Lord said, I will not destroy it on account of the ten. Negotiation's over. And as soon as the Lord had finished speaking to Abraham, Yahweh, the Lord, departed. And Abraham returned to his place. Then chapter 19. We read this. Then the two angels, those two men that were with the Lord, they were angels. We discover that now. Then the two angels come to, came to Sodom 
in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. The gate is where you enter in and the people do business in the gate and the, the old men like to drink their McDonald's coffee in the gate. That's where the gate is, okay? So he comes into the gate of the city and uh, Lot is sitting there in the gate of the city. And Lot saw the two men approaching. And he rose to greet them, and he bowed down with his face to the ground. He's, he's acting much like his uncle Abraham. He's bowing down. He's going to show hospitality to them. And he said, Now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house. Come to my house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise and go early on your way. And they said, However, no, but we shall spend the night in the square. There's no protection in the square. You're going to get killed in the square. The criminals are loose at night in the square. But they said, we're going to spend the night in the square. Why? Because they are there to see if Sodom is as wicked as the Lord had heard. And, and, and Lot knows this is not a good idea for these men. He doesn't know who, the, who these men are. And so he pressed them strongly. And so, okay, they turned aside and they, to him and they entered his house. And he made a feast for them and baked unleavened bread. And they ate. He fed them as well, but this bread was unleavened bread. Unleavened bread doesn't take as long to cook. So he, he feasted, or they feasted on this unleavened bread. And then in verses 4 and following, we read, Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house from young to old, all the people from every quarter. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we may know them. The men of the city, they saw these men entering Lot's house. And they wanted to use them sexually for their own pleasure. This is the kind of wickedness that existed in Sodom. Open, blatant homosexuality. Not only homosexuality, but homosexuality such that they were grooming young people to be homosexuals. The young men came as well. And not only that, but these are homosexuals who would forcibly assault others in order to pleasure themselves. Let me just say one of the movements, uh, one of the strategies of the LGBT, LGBTQ movement today is to try to convince Christians that homosexuality and all of its variants are compatible with the Christian faith and with the Bible and that it should be encouraged in church. What they say is, to make their argument is, hey, the sin of Sodom, it wasn't homosexuality. It was inhospit it, they were being an inhospitable to people. And they quote Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49. Look what it says. Behold, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had lofty pride, abundant food, and quiet ease. But she did not strengthen the hand of the afflicted and needy. See, they were being inhospitable to people. So they quote this verse as proof. It's just inhospitality. It has nothing to do with homosexuality. What they don't quote is the next verse. Then they were haughty and committed abominations before me. So I removed them when I saw it. 
And the people that want to have this movement to get homosexuality more into the church, they certainly avoid Jude verse 7, which reads this way. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, having indulged in the same way as these in gross sexual immorality and having gone after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example of in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. But even if we didn't have Jude 7, even if we didn't have the second verse that they like to leave out in Ezekiel, even if we didn't have those verses, the narrative itself in Genesis 19 is very clear. And if someone were to ask the question, well, were the inhabitants of Sodom inhospitable? I would say, oh, yes. It, they were inhospitable. I would say that attempted forcible homosexual assault is about as inhospitable as it gets. But it was more than simply the inhospitality. It was more than simply the type of sexual assault that they wanted to commit. Because Scripture says that not only is attempted sexual assault is condemnable, but even willful, consenting homosexual acts are an abomination to the Lord. And those that engage in such practices should repent and turn to the Lord for mercy and forgiveness. So in verse 6 of Genesis 19, Lot went out to the doorway. So here's Lot. He's going outside. He goes out to the porch. With the door behind him, open door behind him. He goes out at the doorway, and he shut the door behind him, and he said, Please, my brothers, he's talking to the men of Sodom, Please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Now behold, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Let me, please let me bring them out to you, and do to them what is good in your eyes. Only do nothing to these men, inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. And these girls are like, Dad... I mean, Lot's not going to be father of the year anytime soon. You know, this seems highly questionable, highly inappropriate that he would offer such a thing. And it was. It was highly inappropriate. It is highly inappropriate. But that's what he did. And we read in the next verse, verse 9, the men would have nothing of it. The men told Lot, step aside. Furthermore, they started saying this to one another. They said, this one, this Lot... He came here to sojourn. He's not one of us. He came here recently, and he built his house here. He came here to sojourn, and already he is persistently acting like a judge. Who are you to judge? Lot. Now, we will treat you more wickedly than them. They're going to do to Lot what they threatened to do to these men. And so they pressed hard against Lot and stepped up to break the door. But the men, verse 10, the men in the house, the two angels, they reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them, and they shut the door. And then these two men, these two angels, they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness from small to great, so that they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. This is amazing! Absolutely amazing. These angels strike these men with blindness. And what do the, these blind men still want to do? i got to rape somebody. 
They're struck blind by the Lord, and yet their desire is still to keep on assaulting people. Totally given over to their wickedness. Then the two men said to Lot in verse 12, Whom else have you here? Meaning in the town. A son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and everyone you have in the city. Bring them out of this place. For we are about to destroy this place because their outcry has become great before Yahweh. So Yahweh has sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law. He made it past these, these blind men that are still grasping for the door. And he, he goes out to his sons-in-law. They were going to marry his daughters. And he said, get up. Get out of this place, for Yahweh will destroy the city. But he appeared to his sons-in-law to be jesting. So they stayed. Verse 15, now at the breaking of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Get up, take your wife and your two daughters that are, who are here, lest you be swept away into the punishment of this city. But Lot hesitated. So, the men seized his hand and the hand of his wife, and the other one, the other angel, grabbed the hands of his two daughters, and they're going to drag them out. Why? Because the compassion of Yahweh was upon him. And they brought him out and they put him outside the city. Verse 17, now it happened. As they brought them outside, one said to Lot, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you. And do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains, lest you be swept away. But Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords. Now behold... Your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have magnified your loving kindness, which you have shown me by preserving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest calamity overtake me and I die. Now behold, this town, this town is near enough to flee to, and it is small. Please let me escape there. Is it not small that my life may be preserved? And the angel said to him, Behold, I grant you this request also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar, which means small. Verse 23. The sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zoar, and Yahweh rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from Yahweh out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. Yahweh destroyed the cities. The very first time Yahweh says to Abraham, your descendants after you must be people to do righteousness and justice. Immediately after that, what does the Lord do with the people that do not show righteousness and justice to others? He absolutely wipes it out. Wipes those people out. There could not be a more clear example in all of Scripture that God requires of us to do righteousness and justice to others. And there is not a more clear example of what will become of us 
should we fail in that regard? Verse 26. Then his wife, Lot's wife, from behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Well, that's unfortunate. This is the first time we hear about Lot's wife other than earlier in the story. Where did she come from? Most likely, she was an inhabitant of Sodom. We don't know, but she looked back with eagerness. People say, oh, isn't that a terrible judgment? You know, all she was, she was just curious. I think she was more than curious. I think she was looking back because she desired that. She desired her city to be saved. What did she do wrong? Well, maybe there's something I'm missing. But I would tell you this, that the next time two angels visit you and strike blind homosexual rapists and tell you to leave the city and tell you not to look back, you might want to do what they say. She decided she knew best. I mean, on the list of people that you might want to listen to, you might include avenging angels on that list. So, verse 27. Now Abraham arose early in the morning and went to the place where he had stood before Yahweh, and he looked down into the valley toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. The whole land was burning. People wonder, well, you know, Abraham looked that way. Why didn't he get turned into a pillar of salt? Well, first of all, he wasn't told not to look that way. But secondly, he wasn't looking that way in order to go there. Out of a desire to be a part of that community. It's one thing to look upon God's judgments. another to desire place so much that you yourself become the recipient of that judgment. Verse 29, thus it happened. When God destroyed the cities of the valley, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overflow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. This is a long story. It encompasses two chapters. And one of the big points of this long story is this. Where are you going to dwell? I'm not talking necessarily about location like Lubbock or Shallow Water or where. I'm not talking about that. Where are you going to dwell spiritually? Are you going to be like Abraham and dwell where God is? Are you going to park your life where God is? Are you going to surround yourself by those that do wickedness, unrighteousness, injustice to others? Wherever you dwell, you probably know what your fate will be. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I want you to dwell where the Lord is. God wants to extend mercy to you. So you can dwell in His presence, or you can dwell where there's immorality and unrighteousness knowing that you will ultimately receive judgment. God wants to extend mercy to you, and that's why He sent His Son to become one of us. His Son, Jesus, became one of us. He became human. He died on a cross to pay the penalty of my sin and your sin. And He rose from the grave to give us eternal life, to make us right before God. And the Bible tells us that if we trust in the Lord, 
He will indeed extend mercy and forgiveness to us.